the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's 3 o'clock in Southern California. This is Southern California Live on KKLA. I'm Bob Lapine sitting in this afternoon along with you. And I, I got to confess something to you as we get started. I've, I've thought, do I really need to even say this? Do I admit this? Is this just going to... Is this just going to get me in trouble for the rest of the day? But I just, as a matter of conscience, I got to clear my conscience and just say this as I get started. I grew up in Kirkwood, Missouri, a suburb of St. Louis. 1964, you can do the math on this. I was eight years old in 1964. And in October of 1964, I took my transistor radio to school with me so that I could listen during recess to the World Series games as the St. Louis Cardinals were playing the New York Yankees, who they eventually went on to beat in seven games that year with Bob Gibson on the mound. 67, I went to a World Series game, one of the games, as the Cardinals beat the Red Sox. 68, went to the All-Star game, saw the Cardinals lose that year to Detroit, so the the point is, I grew up a Cardinal fan. I can still tell you the starting lineup for the Cardinals in in the '64 World Series. I was, I mean, that's what eight year olds pay attention to, that kind of stuff. So I'm telling you all of this just so you'll know tomorrow night when the game is going on. Um, no offense, I'm going to be cheering for the Cardinals. I was going to say I'm going to be cheering for the hottest team in Major League Baseball. But in the last 10 games, the Dodgers are 9-1, and one and the Cardinals have lost three in the last 10 games. So I don't want to say that. The Dodgers, what a year they've had. Man. So anyway, tomorrow night, game time, 5-10 uh, here, Southern California time. And, and uh, all of my friends in Southern California, I love you. I've been, to the, I've been to Dodger Stadium. I've had a Dodger dog. I like the Dodgers. We're all good except when you're playing the Cardinals. So go Cards, go tomorrow night. All right, so that's, we're going to get that out of the way. Speaking of sports, I ran track when I was in high school. Anybody who's seen a recent picture goes, <laughs> we need evidence. <laughs> but I was a sprinter back in high school. Um, my times were not, they're not in any record book. I ran the uh, the 100-yard dash. My best time was a 10.8. I ran the 220. I th- I'm pretty sure that the time recorded for me was a 23.8, and I'm pretty sure the guy started the stopwatch late on that because I don't think I really ran a 23.8, but I'll take that for, for the 220. I did not run distance races back in that day. A uh, a mile race was four times around the track, and we had the two-mile event, and that was eight times around the track. And if you ran distance in in my day back in high school, uh, eight times around the track, you paced yourself. Now, people who run the two mile, you just run full out for two miles. I don't know how anybody does that, but 
you, and if you were running in in that race as a as a uh, two miler, you might lose track of how many times you've been around the track. And so, on your seventh time around, when you started your eighth time around, the lead runner, as soon as he crossed the line and and lap eight had begun, the uh, the starter would fire a pistol, a starter's pistol, and they would have the the last lap was referred to as the gun lap so that every runner knew this is it you got one more time around the track and then you cross the finish line and it's over well this summer this past summer every friday morning i got together with a group of about 20 guys from our church all of us men who could get together on a friday morning without obligation there because we we are in that stage of life where our schedules have become a little more flexible. I'm trying to be as delicate as I can in talking about all of this. And and we talked about the transition that occurs when we go into a new lap of life, which is, in essence, our gun lap. From here to the finish line, we're in we're kind of in the later stages of the race. I read a book years ago called The Third third of life the years from 60 to 90 if if you should get that long that's the third third of life you're in the you're in the final stages of things and and the point of of all of this is you want to live that stage of life in a way that is as full out the, the guys in the gun lap would kick it up a notch you're in the last lap and you want to you want to cross the finish line uh, strong and so you didn't slow down in the in the last lap you picked it up and that's what i think those of us who are in the gun lap need to be thinking about and we we were aided in our conversation in fact the whole metaphor of the gun lap was something that was given to us by robert walgamuth who has written a book titled gun lap and people who don't know track kind of scratch their heads and go, you're going to have to explain that one to me. Well, that's what it's all about. It's about how we as men approach this final chapter of our lives on earth. And Robert is joining us to talk about how we get God's perspective on this. Robert is an author and a speaker. He's a literary agent. He's He's been a friend for decades, and it's a delight to have him here with us on Southern California Live. Good afternoon, my friend. <laughs> Bob, uh- in the history of setups, that was that takes that takes the silver, no, the gold medal. That was incredible. Thank you. So, I mean, seriously, I said to Nancy this afternoon, I love interviews. A, when I know and love the person interviewing, and B, when they've read the book. And you, my friend, you're the winner in both of those. I'm so happy to talk to you this afternoon. Thank well, I love connecting with you as well, and and. Uh, it's so grateful for this book, and I've not only read the book, but I've gone sh- slowly through it with other guys, which, by the way, reading the book is is encouraging. Going through it slowly with other guys, is it takes it everything up a notch. And then you and I had the opportunity to record 11 podcast episodes where we went through each chapter of this book, and folks who want to kind of process this with us can go to wherever they get their podcasts and type in Gunlap and listen to our extended conversation on the themes from your book. Well, if, if the qualifications for a good interviewer is to be neutral, 
you've just blown it, man. <laughs> <laughs> I am you not have, neutral. You, <laughs> you've sipped the Kool-Aid, buddy. You are in. I love uh, it. I am not neutral on this subject. I'm not neutral on, on you and how you lead us through this. And I think all of us, many of us get blindsided when we get into our whatever whatever is the kickoff. I tend to think the kickoff of the gun lap for most of us is when we make a a vocational transition from what has been normal and regular into a new stage of life when our days are less predictable and less ordered and we're having to stop and go, okay, what do I do with my day now? It used to be that my boss would tell me or the company would tell me or I had job responsibilities. I don't have those now. Now we're in a new era of life. And for many guys, you've seen this, that can be very disorienting. It can be, and it can be even more disoriented for their wives or for their families. Because, mm-hmm. like, what are we going to do with Charlie? We're going <laughs> to get this extra time. What are we going to do with him? And I, I think it's both. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing, now this book has been out since May 25th, I'm guessing that at least half of the books that have been sold or have been purchased have been purchased by wives who are, are genuinely concerned about this next season in their husband's lives. And you know this so well, but writing a book for men is not an easy task. And the Lord called me to this a long time ago, to write books that would be enjoyed, consumed by men as an encouragement to them. But what I've heard from folks who have read this book, or spouses of men who have read this book, it is exactly what I dreamed it would be. And it's an encouragement for a guy who looks down the road and says, around the lap and says, this may be my last lap. Yeah. And, and that's, that's so fulfilling. You know this. As an author, you know that when somebody says to you, well, first of all, if they say, I couldn't put it down, you kiss them right on the face. I don't care. <laughs> you do. I couldn't put it down. But even better than that is my husband, he may not be a big book reader, but somebody gave him this book, or I gave him this book, and he actually read it cover to cover, and he said to me afterward, thank you, or that was very helpful. I was able to follow along. I mean, that's, that's the kind of thing that, that's the reason why you write a book, right? Mm-hmm. And, right? And the fact that it has been an encouragement to guys our age, Bob, is, is a huge thing. It's, it, 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 it makes me so happy to realize that guys in this age bracket, in this season, are finding some encouragement that their life is far from over. There's plenty of mileage left on those tires. And there's some really important things I think that God is calling us to during this time. And that's yeah, why I, I'm excited about it. I had somebody say to me recently, are you retired? And I said, well, if, if what you mean by that is, have I gone in and gotten new tires for the next part of the journey? Yes, I am retired. I which love means, it. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready to go. And I got to read to you. This is an email I got from... A friend of mine, this last Thursday, a, a fellow broadcaster, he's been in Christian broadcasting throughout his career, he wrote and he said, I've been retired since June 1st, and I'm not sure this is going to work. He said, my wife is pretty sure it's not going to work. And and uh, I wrote him back and he said, um, retirement is not really a defined plan. He said, grandchildren are fun, bike riding is fun, working out, ESPN, really it's not enough. It's easy to stay busy, but it's also easy to be staying busy doing silly stuff 
and nothing that really has eternal importance. He says, my wife keeps telling me she didn't realize that retirement meant I'd be around so much. Sigh. (laughs) And of course, watching your 401k, that can be just plain scary. So for a lot of guys, you get to this stage, which you've kind of been You've been thinking, okay, that's going to be glorious when my time is my own and I can do what I want. And then you get there and you go, so what's my purpose? What am I contributing? Because we don't want to just be in the mobile home going and seeing the next tourist site. (laughs) Yeah, and what do the actuarial tables tell us about what happens to many, many men once they stop doing, quote, productive things like a job? They die. That's true. Yeah. And, and so, I, I first of all, I don't want guys to die, but I also want them to live because there's a reason for it. So, again, that's a dream, that I could be an encouragement to guys in this season of life. And like you said, maybe with some extra time, enough time to stop your car when you're driving into the neighborhood, get out, walk over to the guy who's mowing his yard or washing his car, and chat. I mean, you used to always be in a hurry, but maybe not now. Maybe you have more time. And you ought to take advantage of that. And we talk about that a lot in the book. Things like mentoring. This is a great opportunity for you to spot a younger man at church and invite him out for a cup of coffee or a Coke and, and begin life-on-life stuff. It doesn't have to be organized. But young, younger men are hungry to hear about your experiences. And I do my best in this book to be transparent about my own sin, my own foibles, my own anxieties, things I learned from my grandfather that I, I'm glad I learned and things that I'm trying to forget. Those kinds of things are critical for a guy our age. I'm so yeah. grateful. Robert Wolgamuth is joining us this afternoon. He's written a book for men who are in the last chapter, the last lap, or, or maybe for men who are approaching it. I, I don't think you wait until you right. get there to start thinking about it. I think this is something we need to be, in, in the same way that you don't want to um, – wake up one morning and and find yourself in a on a in a vacation site and going oh if i'd have known i'd have packed this and that you, you don't want to wake up one morning and go life is new and you haven't really thought about how you're going to get ready for that so if a guy yeah, is in awesome. his if a guy's in his mid 50s or he's he can see kind of the finish line for work how does he start preparing for what that new chapter is going to be what's most critical robert well, uh, uh, let, let's, let's play with a metaphor. This is a trip to the grocery store, not to the restaurant. So what you're doing is you are putting stuff in your cart, your little wire cart there going down the aisle, that you think you might need. So it's not a restaurant. You're not ordering from a menu. You're, you're getting ready. You're, you're preparing yourself. It's like playing tennis. You bring the racket back before the ball gets to you. Mm-hmm. You get ready for it. And, and that's really what this is. So you're right. The guy doesn't have to be there for, I think, this, this book to be helpful. I would say, and people have kind of pressed me on this, what, what would you say the perfect age is for this book? And, and actually, I say this at the beginning. I want to write to a specific person. My old friend, Tim LaHaye, said, a book is a long letter to one person. So as I, as I wrote this book, I pictured a man 50 years old. He's got kids. He may have a brand-new grandkid, but, but he hasn't actually hung it up yet, but he's thinking about it. He's talking about it. He's planning for it. He and his wife are chatting about it. 
he's beginning to feel some sense of excitement over the possibility of reading more, going to more ball games. And I did hear your opener, and I want to ignore it. On behalf of all my Dodger friends and my own Cubs fetish. So I forgive you. But that, that's all. Don't try any more stuff like that. But that, that's who it's for. A guy 50 years old, um, and, and so I would say a woman who's married to a guy in his 50s. Uh, and, and she's concerned about what he's going to do. You know, he's going to be able to retire. He's, financially, he's, he's in pretty good shape. But this is a lot more than your 501K. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, uh, 401K. It's a lot more than that. This is about re- getting out of bed for, with, with a reason to live. I mean, I'm an entrepreneur. I've started businesses, and I've loved it. It was the stuff that got me out of bed early in the morning. But I would be tempted at this season of my life to not jump out of bed for those kinds of reasons, but to kind of lie there and say, well, I wonder what's going to happen today. You know, um, that, that what I would say to a guy who's tempted to do that, and by the way, I have no problem with cashing in on the investment that you've made your whole life working hard. Not a problem. Take the time, whatever is necessary. This is not, I'm not a slave driver, I promise. This is not a coach blowing his whistle one more time. But it is true that you have a little bit more time than you used to have. So don't spend it, invest it. Find ways that you can spend this time, you can invest this time in stuff that not just matters, because that sounds like an assignment. Invest your life in stuff that that makes a difference, that brings you joy. <laughs> I mean, seriously, uh, you know, when, when you have a young man, you drop him off after a, a lunch with him, and he thanks you for investing that time in his life. What is that worth? What kind of joy does that bring? It's also fun because I talk about uh, maybe your inhibitions drop a little bit when you're our age. You know, In fact, I've always been fascinated by the Apostle Paul saying that he's not ashamed of the gospel. So that's two negatives, right? I'm not ashamed. So here's what I believe about the Apostle Paul. He understood the anxiety that we all feel before we tell somebody about the Lord. Just, you know, that little check in your spirit, you think, ah, I don't know, I know. Yeah, yeah. So what I've discovered, and Nancy's been such a huge help with this, because she's relentless about stuff like this. But I feel sorry for the Uber guy who picks me up, because before we're done, I get a chance to tell him about the Lord. I pray with him. I ask him how I can pray for him. Nobody's ever said, look, don't bother to pray for me. Mm-hmm. Or the guy that's fixing the sprinklers at my house. And I walk over to him, and, you know, he's, he's got mud all over him, and I thank him for his good work. And then I say, tell me, just take a second, just tell me about your family. So he does, and then I say, can I pray with you? Can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? Bob, I'll tell you, nobody's ever said, look, don't bother. I don't have time for that. And the joy that brings you, because you've taken the time to do that, is immeasurable. It's unbelievable. So we, we might as well I'm take. To a, no, go ahead. Finish what? it up. Uh, uh, I forgot what I was going to say. See, that's part <laughs> of this age thing. <laughs> Boy, who am I talking to again? Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, I, 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 what, I, what I what I don't what I don't do is listen to the check in my spirit. In fact, one of the first chapters I wrote in this book, as it turned out, it was like it turned out to be chapter four. But it's the self-conversation chapter. Mm-hmm. So 
what what I'm challenged to do in this season is to not listen to myself, but to speak to myself. Mm-hmm. That's right. So, all right. So I can't move as fast as I used to. When I wake up in the morning, I don't just jump out of bed. I promise. I sit on the edge of the bed. It's usually dark. My wife, Nancy's still sleeping, usually. And I just sit there for a second, kind of gather myself. My doctor said, I don't want to read a story in the paper about you doing a face plant and killing yourself. <laughs> so I just take a second. So things do take longer. It does, you're, you're not in the kind of condition that you used to be. So what do I say to myself about that? I say, you know what? You're a loser. You're, you're useless. Your, your physical body is absolutely catching up with you. So do I hear myself saying that? In fact, my friend Ray Orland was such a huge help. He helped me with his chapter because he grew up in a home. There are a lot of folks in Southern California who know that name because his daddy, Ray, was the pastor of Lake Avenue in uh, Pasadena for many years. But I, I talked to Ray about this, and he grew up in a family where there was nothing but grace. I mean, just grace. So I said, so do you struggle with self-conversation and self-condemnation? And there was silence, and he said, no, actually, I don't. Well, isn't that interesting? Because I talk about this in the book. I grew up in a family where the tradition was more works-driven, I'm going to say it, works-driven than grace-driven. So if I've had a rotten day, or I had a phone conversation that was really disappointing, or I had a friend betray me, or I had a failure in my business, or I made a sales call and it didn't turn out like I had hoped, my tendency is to go to bed feeling like a failure and not being able to issue grace to myself. So, by the way, that's pride, pure and simple. Mm-hmm. That's pride. So the old Irish pastor, Lloyd-Jones, Martin Lloyd-Jones, I found this amazing quote, and I put it in the book. And he talks about self-conversation. Of all things, 200 years ago, guys were thinking about what they were thinking about in the middle of the night. And instead of listening to themselves, they needed to speak to themselves. And he talks about that. Lloyd-Jones talks about that. So that's, you know, one of the things that I think happens in a man's life, a guy who loves the Lord, wants to serve him and so forth, is to invite the Holy Spirit to actually speak to him. You know, that, that, that I'm lying there, maybe in the middle of the night, and every man who's listening to this knows what it is after he turns 50, he doesn't sleep all the way through the night. I'm just saying, <laughs> that's just between you and me. So when you crawl back in bed and you can't go quite go back to sleep, your wife is laying there, maybe she's snoring a little bit. My wife never snores, but let's just say hypothetically. <laughs> and you're trying to go back to sleep. What happens in your mind? What do you, what do you hear? What voices do you hear? In fact, one of the men I talked with about this book had a, had a first grade teacher. I'm not kidding. A first grade teacher who told him that he, that he will not make anything of himself. He'll be a failure. He was in first grade, and he still believes it. Hmm. So we don't just listen to ourselves or those voices, maybe from that long ago. We speak to ourselves in a voice that we hear from the Lord. The Lord, I mean, okay, so am I worth Jesus going to the cross and dying for and loving? Yes, I am. That's crazy. That sounds arrogant. I don't mean it that way at all. What what can I what could I possibly say at the foot of the cross to a Savior who loved me enough and counted me worthy enough to die for me? 
So what do I say to myself? I say, before God, because of the cross, I'm worthy of his love. And, and I'm going to live a life in the sunlight. I'm going to live a life that, that honors him, that glorifies him, that lifts the spirits of the people that I know. In fact, it's an interesting thing. You get emails from me or texts from me. And during my gun lap, I've learned to do something. It wasn't easy because I grew up in, with a stoic father and even more stoic grandfather who were not all that expressive. But when I sign an email or a text, I say, I love you. Yeah. And I mean it. Yeah. And, and the Lord has given me such liberty, such freedom, such joy in encouraging my friends, guys my age, who may be hearing voices in the night that say, you know what? You're spent. You're finished. What you, what you came to do, you've done. There's really nothing more that you can do that's worth anything. So go ahead, pick up shuffleboard. You can probably be the club champion. Do something. But what you're doing with the rest of your life that's productive isn't going to amount to much. And I'm saying to that guy, I'm hugging him and I'm looking him square in the face. I'm taking him by the shoulders and say, this is going to be the most amazing season of your life. And Bob, I really mean that. I really believe that. That is the message of Robert Wolgamuth's book, Gun Lap, which is what we're talking about this afternoon, how we make the last laps of life as productive as they can be. We're going to continue the conversation. I want to ask you, Robert, about uh, how our fathers and how they approached their later years, how that affects us. We'll continue the conversation, though, after we take this quick time out. Stay with us. Southern California Live on a Tuesday afternoon. I'm Bob Lapine. The boys are back in town. You recognize that, right, don't you? We've got uh, Robert Walgamuth joining us on the line. We're talking about uh, what happens to the boys when we get to where we're no longer boys, where we're in those those last years of life and how we get ready for that, how we prepare for that, and how we live that out. Robert's written a book called Gun Lap, which is designed to help prepare us as men for these years of life. And Robert, you have mentioned your wife, Nancy. I don't know that all of our listeners know you are married to Nancy DeMoss Walgamuth, who is an author and a speaker and has a radio program called Revive Our Hearts. And when you guys got married, how many months ago now? 71. 71 months you've been married. It was your wife had passed. It was a second marriage for you, a first marriage for her. You are um, a few years ahead of her in the race. <laughs> yeah. yeah. In fact, when we were dating, she said, if this doesn't work out with us, my mother is still available. Is that <laughs> kind of what you mean? <laughs> I think that's true. It is. Yeah, because I'm closer in age to her mother than I am to her. So, thanks, a lot. thanks a lot for reminding me of that, Bob. And yes, it's true. And you, you and Mary and Marianne were a part of this because you guys are very close with Nancy. Yeah. So you kind of shepherded us in the early days, right? Well, she sent a few emails saying, I'm getting these emails from Robert, and they seem very personal, and I don't know what that means. And we had to say, well, here's what that means, Nancy. And uh, that was kind of the beginning of that journey. But when you, when you guys got married, you were still 
full-time with the company that you had founded as a literary agency. So you were working uh, five-plus days a week. Your, your job, your focus was pretty consuming at that point, right? Very, yeah. And it's a, it's a business I started with a guy named Michael Hyatt, who probably some of your folks know. And, yeah, and when, when you start your own business, you sleep on the floor. Right. I mean, that's what it is. It, who cares what day of the week is? If you've got work to do, you do it. Or what time of the day? Or if it's Thanksgiving Day or Christmas Day, you do it. If you have your own business, guys listening to this right now who have started their own business or women who have done that know exactly what I mean. So, yes, it was consuming. And it absolutely. For, uh, yes. So for, for 25 over, years. As I over, the, over the last 71 months, you have gone from full-time and consuming to now you're, you're still involved and still working with authors, but it's – it's not as full-time. It's not as consuming. You have dialed back what your involvement has been there, and you've had to go through this exercise of saying, okay, how do I fill the, the time that used to go to the business? So how did you – was that disorienting for you, or did you have a plan as you stepped into it? Huge. And huge. In fact, this is this is hilarious. I haven't thought about this until just now. I love I love – chatting with you, Bob, because you're a great question asker. I married a question asker, a good one. So not only have I learned to speak to myself rather than just listen to myself, I've written a book to myself. That's, <laughs> uh, that is, I say that at the beginning of Gun Lab, that, you know, I've been in so many marketing meetings, probably have published a thousand books in my career, 40 years of doing that. And you always say, like, well, who is this book for? Well, I confess at the beginning of Gunlap, I've written this book for myself. So while I'm ratcheting back my professional life, my busyness life, and ramping up my Gunlap, I decided to write a book to myself about the things that I needed to pay close attention to. And I, I decided to write a book, this is going to sound crazy, that was going to be an encouragement to myself. Mm-hmm. And, and it, that sounds crazy, doesn't it? But it's true. The, the Lord has used my writing this book and then the, the, the responses of friends like you as a, a way to speak to myself and to remind myself that there, that there are plenty of strides left in this lap and, and there's work to be done, good work to be done. Maybe not as hard, maybe not as stress-filled, but good work to be done. I'm not going to coast. You said it earlier in, in the setup. The, the last lap could be your best. Yeah. Can you imagine that? Now, that's metaphorically speaking, because I'd probably drop dead if I tried to run two miles. <laughs> so it's metaphorically speaking, but this lap can be really special. Like I went to a, Nancy and I went to a funeral on Friday night this past week in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And the tributes, that this man's grandchildren gave to him were a huge inspiration to me. I have five grandchildren. One of them is married and expecting in January, which you know what that means. And, and, and I renewed my commitment to be a, a wonderful grandfather because I have more time. You know, I, I can text my grandkids. <laughs> I mean, back in the day, you didn't have that form of communication. Right. But I can do that. So there shouldn't be a week, at least a week that passes, that my grandkids don't hear some encouragement from me. I have one grandson who's 22, 23, and he doesn't like to text. He likes to FaceTime. 
So he calls me from his car on his way home from work, and we FaceTime. So, and technology, let me just say this. This is a, an important point I make in this book. Technology can make us feel left behind. That's the name of that chapter. Because it, it travels so fast, you're more techie than I am by a long shot. But there probably are some areas of technology that even you are intimidated by. Absolutely. And, and so, in fact, you picture a family reunion, a whole bunch of people, your kids, your grandkids, they're chatting and whatever, and they start talking about contemporary music or movies, stuff that we, and you can feel completely lost. I remember watching my dad, Bob, just kind of slowly shrivel up because he could no longer engage in conversation. That's left behind. And technology is, is part of the reason for that. You're talking about the, the latest software, the, way, the latest way to download music, all that stuff. And you can feel stupid. You can feel left behind. In fact, I tell the story about when I was writing this book, I was about 30,000 words in, and I lost the whole file. Mm-hmm. I lost it. You know, back in the day when you used to write manuscripts on yellow legal pads, that never happened to you. <laughs> so technology can be your friend, but it also can be a vicious enemy. Yeah. And once that's gone, I've had, I had experts look at my computer and, and look everywhere possible, but it was gone. It was totally gone. I started all over the next day. The, the, the point is that technology ought to be our friend, but it, sometimes it's intimidating. So I've got a young man on speed dial, and the smallest thing, the questions that I have, I speed dial and Logan, and I say, hey, bud, I got a problem. And he's brilliant. He knows his stuff, right? He can, we can share screens, and he can fix it. <laughs> so that, this stage of life can be a very lonely experience. Men who are in the gun lap right now are getting ready for it know exactly what you and I are talking about. Right. You know, our, our phone doesn't ring as often as it used to. We don't get letters like we used to. We can feel forgotten. We can feel useless. I tell the story of my daddy. He was probably in his early 80s. He's sitting in his study. I went, knelt down next to him, said, Dad, how are you? He said, I feel useless. Mm-hmm. That's what he said. Those were the words he used. I know what that feels like. And, you know, my, my friends, my wife, my kids, grandkids would say, oh, you're not useless. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about how it feels sometimes because I'm not as productive as I used to be. And a man is so connected to his work, to his accomplishments. And when he can no longer do that, he can feel useless. Yep. And back to my daddy, I said, Dad, tell me what, what are you talking about? He said, I feel useless. I can't, you know, he was actually in the early stages of a disease that was like Parkinson's. I said, Dad, you can pray for us. He said, well, I do. I said, that's the most important thing you could possibly do. So I did my best to encourage my dad. But I understand at my age being less productive than I used to be. I mean, you know, because you've sat on my deck here in Michigan. I love building stuff. I love carrying huge two-by-12s around my backyard. I can't do that anymore. Right. So does that mean? I mean, that I am useless because I can't build the deck? No. In fact, it, it's, it's so, listen, 2 Corinthians 4.16, our bodies are wasting away. And every man in his gun lap right now who just heard me say that said, amen. Even if he was a Presbyterian, he said, <laughs> amen. Our bodies are wasting away, but our inner selves are being renewed day by day. That's right. Amen. 
And your book, your book, Gun Lab, helps us uh, process all of this. And it's been so good for me and for the other guys who have gone through it. We're talking with Robert Wolgamuth this afternoon about this last chapter, the last lap of life. We'll continue the conversation after we take a time out. Stay with us. KKLA, this is Southern California Live. I'm Bob Lapine. We're talking about guys and about the last laps of life and how we get ready for that season and how we execute well in that season. Robert Wolgamuth is joining us. Robert's an author and a speaker, a literary agent who has written a book called Gun Lap to get us all ready for this season of life and Robert, we were just talking about the fact that our bodies can't do in this season what our minds still tell our bodies that they should be able to do. I mean, I can still imagine going to the batting cage and connecting well with all of those pitches, but my my uh, timing is not it's not what it used to be back in the day, you know. <laughs> And, Whatever and, else you say today, that's the understatement of the day. Else. <laughs> well, and you we and get I together. Chance. We, 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 our, we our knees hiding <laughs> from it. We get together, you and I, or guys our age, we get together, and one of the things that we start talking about is the aches and the pains or the last visit to the doctor. You've been through some of this in the last year. You've had some medical challenges you've gone through. Yeah. Yeah, I talked about the fact that the self-conversation was one of the motivations for the book. Another one was I was, I was diagnosed with melanoma cancer uh, in, well, in March of 2020, and that resulted in the removal of part of my ear and lymph nodes and all kinds of challenges. And then two months later, after I recovered from that, I was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, went through chemotherapy chemotherapy, lost my hair, the whole nine yards. So so I, that chapter is called Running with a Limp. And we all understand that. You know, it's so interesting. Speaking of baseball, um, you, you, you watch a guy, or football for that matter, football season is hot, and somebody hurts themselves, and you can tell immediately when he gets out of the huddle or out of the stack, you can tell right away he's hurt himself. He's, he's going to try to play with a limp. That, that describes physically the challenges of guys our age running this last lap. So uh, e- even though that's a metaphor, it still is true. That is, this lap can be the sweetest one. In fact, I was on the phone with a businessman who I have great respect for, and uh, he, he aged out. When, when the CEO of the company realized how old he was, he was on the board, serving on the board successfully. When she discovered how old he was, she turned him loose. Mm-hmm. And so I was on the phone talking to him about that and what that felt like. And he said, are you going to talk about marriage in this book? And I said, well, actually, I hadn't planned on it. And the, the, the chapter called um, Another Really Important Year is about marriage. And if there's anything that I would love to be able to say in our final minutes here, Bob, to guys in this lap, it's don't neglect your wife. You know, Nancy and I occasionally will go to a restaurant. Sometimes we'll see older couples, and they're just sitting there. 
Mm-hmm. In fact, these days, even guys that are my age have their phones out. Right. And they're texting. Or, and I, I would love to sit down next to him or just stand next to the table, at the table and say, how many more years do you think you guys might have each other? This is a great opportunity to, to fall in love with your wife again and to, and, and to treat her like you did when you first fell in love with her. And you remember how great that felt when you loved her and she loved you back? Yeah. There's still plenty of that in her. And so the chances are good that she will take care of you when you can't take care of yourself. What a great investment to make now. Loving her well <laughs> while you can. That's what I would say. If you don't remember anything else about this conversation, I'm talking to your listeners. Remember to love your wife like you've not loved her before. Whatever that takes, and, and honestly, at, at, at our age, gifts eventually become garage sale items. Don't give her stuff like that. Right. But, but speak loving words to her. You know, the Lord gave texts, so you can text your wife, I love you. That, how long does that take, and what does it mean to her? Or, or saying, I love you, and you've been around Nancy and me, you know, that we can be pretty annoying about that, right? <laughs> well, let me tell you, I've got the advantage of only of being, of being kind of a newlywed. Guys my age have been married for 50 years. My, my, my late wife and I got married in 1970, so we would be in our 51, 51st year. So most of the guys my age have been married that long, and it's easy to get lazy and to forget what a gift this woman is to you. So I... With everything I have, Bob, across the phone lines, across the radio waves, I would say to men listening to this, our age, learn to love your wife like you've never loved her before. Uh, that it's it's never too late to start loving your wife like you need to. It you know, people love to, to receive confessions from other people who are truly sorry. So to say to your wife, you know, sweetheart. I've been so busy. You know, we've raised kids, and now we've got grandkids, and I've, I've missed you. I, I, I have I bypassed you. I, there's no excuse. I would love for us to renew our vows and to love each other well. If I could tell the story about a very good friend of mine who went to a marriage retreat, and the speaker said, look at your spouse and say, I love you. And so he did it to his wife, and his wife looked back at him right in the eye, and she said, I don't love you. Hmm. That guy could have gone to his lawyer's office, filed for divorce, and be over. Resolved, even at his age, to start over again. And I, I wish that guy could be on the phone right now and tell you how much he loves his wife. In fact, Nancy has this thing called the 30-Day Husband Challenge, and it's incredible what can happen if we decide to love our wives well. That's what I would say at this point in this conversation. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, Resolve before the Lord to love your wife better than you've ever loved before. This this is a great season to do that. And you can you can be strategic about that. I mean, guys guys know how to put a business plan together, how to be strategic. Some things you can do. One of the things you do. Nancy wakes up every morning. Your wife. You wake up ahead of her. She wakes up later, and when she checks her phone, there's always a text message from you, right? Yes, I. I have the joy in the darkness of the morning to spend time in the Word. And when I come across a verse, I'll text it to her. So when she wakes up, there may be three or four verses that have meant something to me that morning. 
And if she could talk right now on the phone, she would tell your listeners, our listeners, what that means to her. And how much time does that take? Not much. But you said it, it takes strategy. It takes a plan. It takes actually doing something. Every life change begins with a single decision. And my encouragement to guys in loving your wife, try that. In the morning when you get up, first of all, do that for sure. But then send her a verse, something out of the Psalms that will encourage her to see the kind of joy you can bring to your wife. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how she is. There's still there's still light there, and there's still a flame there, and it's a great time to fan it. And here's the thing, guys, as you're listening to this. You're smart enough. You've figured out over the years how to put a strategic plan together for something in business or for a project you've wanted to tackle. You know how to plan and how to execute on a plan. The thing you haven't done is stopped and thought, okay, how do I take that skill and apply it toward building a stronger marriage or toward investing in my grandkids or toward what this last chapter of my life is going to look like? So Robert's book, Gunlap, is a a jumpstart on what that strategic plan for you can be and will be. And I mentioned he and I have done a podcast on this. You can go to wherever you get your podcasts and listen to the Gunlap podcast. Get the book wherever you get the books, wherever you get books. Again, it's called Gunlap. And Robert, thank you for the time this afternoon. Thanks for investing in all of us. Great to talk to you. Thanks, Bob. What joy to be with you. Thanks, friend. And thanks to everybody for listening. Next hour, Costi Hinn is going to join us. Stay with us. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.